Well, I am so excited because today we are starting a new study in the book of Daniel. Da Daniel's an Old Testament prophetic book. It's a book about bold faith, about passionate worship, about miraculous signs, and about prophetic visions. I mean, in so many ways, Daniel is this larger than life book. But it's also a book that traces the story of a man by the name of Daniel who shows us what it looks like to live faithfully when you're far from home. In so many ways, it's a, a practical manual for how to live when your world gets turned upside down. It's a book about the subtle decisions that shape us and the convictions that end up making us. Uh, we're calling this study over the next few weeks, Distance Learning. <laughs> Distance Learning. And if you have your Bible, open with me to Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. A after a few weeks of distance learning, I can honestly say that I hate it. <laughs> I hate it. I mean, I spent an hour last Friday waiting for a Zoom call to open up. Technological issues on the school's end. I mean, it seems like every day we do distance learning, somebody in our house ends up crying. And it's only me some of the time. Some of the time it's the kids too. I mean, it just feels like things are out of joint, doesn't it? It's unfamiliar. It's uncertain. It doesn't feel like it's working and clicking on all cylinders. And in so many ways, it's, it's frustrating. And we live in this moment in time where people are throwing around this term, new normal. As if to say, not only is your life disoriented right now, but it's never going back to the way that it was. I think as a culture, we're suffering from a collective sense of, of loss, of disorientation, of this, this sense and this pain that life isn't what it was six months ago. And we're not exactly sure what it's going to be in six months. I mean, there are so many questions that we just don't have answers to. Questions like, when are our kids going to go back to school? Or when is the government going to release some of these lockdown restrictions? Or, I mean, in our week right now in the West, when are these fires going to subside? Or maybe in our nation as a whole, what's going to happen in early November? It feels like there's division in our country right now and people are raising their voices in anger. What's going to happen when the election takes place? I mean, all of those questions are questions that we just don't have answers to. Life is turned upside down. And in so many ways, we're living in a world that wasn't the world that we lived in six months ago. And like I said, we're not exactly sure what it will be six months from now, but, but, but what if that's okay? What if that's a place that God wants to meet us. 
See, all of these uncertainties, they, they cause this grasping for control because we're experiencing a powerless that seems powerlessness that seems almost unprecedented, at least in our generation. But what if, what if, what if, what if the very things we're trying to fight are the things that God wants to use for our formation? What if the very things that we're pushing back against are the things that God wants to use to draw us in? See, because as the people of God, we must recognize that seasons of disorientation are nothing new. In fact, in the scriptures, they have a name. Uh, the, the name of these seasons is often exile. Exile. And, and not only is exile not new, but it's distinctly a part of the way that God forms his people. Now, I hope you have your Bible open to the book of Daniel because that sets the stage for what we're going to learn in this series on Daniel as we go through it over the next few weeks together. Daniel chapter 1 begins uh, like this. And remember, Daniel's going to be our guide for how to live well in exile. And let me tell you why I think he's going to be a good guide for us, starting in verse 1. It reads like this. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. We'll talk about Nebuchadnezzar a little bit more next week, but you just need to know that he was a bloodthirsty pagan ruler who ruled with an iron fist and left a trail of dead bodies in his wake. It says, And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and, the, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Now, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, this would be 605 B.C. 605 B.C. 117 years earlier, the uh, southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah, had seen the northern kingdom of Israel carried off into exile by the Assyrians. They had prophets, the, the kingdom of Judah did, they had prophets foretelling of their demise if they refused to repent and worship Yahweh as God alone. Well, they didn't repent. And in 605, it says that the Lord gave Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, uh, the kingdom of Judah. He gave them into his hand. Essentially, God was good on his word. They didn't repent and they were carried off into exile. So you have to imagine this. You're taken from your home. You're uprooted from everything that you know. And you are marched on foot 1,678 miles from Jerusalem to Babylon. And you're placed probably in something similar to a refugee camp most of the people would have been. And your life is completely different than what it looked like just days before. Not only that, not only that, but it says specifically, some of the vessels from the temple were taken also. And it's this picture of, well, in that culture, the Babylonian deities were stronger than your God. Okay. So it's this declaration about whose God is stronger 
also. Can you see why Daniel's going to teach us about distance learning? His life is turned upside down. It's not what he thought it would be. Every dream that he had a few weeks earlier was just shattered and gone with every step that he took marching toward Babylon. I think in some ways, minor ways, but in some ways, we can relate. Life is different. It's unexpected and it's uncertain. Listen to the way that the story story continues in verse 3. It says, Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both the royal family and of nobility, use without blemish, of good appearance, skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them literature and language of the Chaldeans. Now, just a quick time out. So, so uh, Nebuchadnezzar says, get me the best of the best. Give me the brightest, the best looking. Those who would win a Mr. Judah contest, like bring me those guys. I want them to be trained in my courts, in my schools. I want them to learn math and science, and I want them to learn new languages, and I want them to learn sorcery and how to be magicians in my kingdom, how to interpret dreams, all of those things. Verse 5. And the king assigned them a daily portion of food that the king ate and of wine that he drank. And they were to be educated for three years. So this is a three-year sort of enculturation program for three years. And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. Of the tribe of Judah. So you have to see what's happening. Not only is Daniel ripped from his home, from his place of living, from everything that he's known, but now he's put in another culture, in another place, and they say, you've got to start becoming like us. Leave all of that Yahweh stuff behind. And many of the things that they were going to learn would run very contrary, very contrary to the things that they believed about God that they learned through the scriptures. See, Daniel's this fascinating case study of how to live with your feet in two different worlds. <laughs> how to live as a, as a follower of God and to live with a, a foot in the empire. Uh, Daniel, throughout his book, is going to teach us how to live with a, a foot in the present and a foot in the future. He's going to talk about vision of what God would do. And in Uh, just a fascinating uh, um, truth about the book of Daniel. It's going to be written partially in Hebrew and half of it's written in Aramaic. I mean, in a literal sense, the book has its foot in two different worlds. And all of this positions Daniel to be a great guide for the place that we find ourselves today. Because Daniel has a choice in front of him You have a choice in front of you. How will we respond when our life is turned upside down? How will we respond when life is disorienting? And see, I'd invite you to write this down this morning. Living with resolve. And that's what we're going to talk about today. How to live with resolve when it feels like the world is crumbling. Living with resolve means that we refuse to allow our circumstances to determine our faithfulness. 
Let me say that again while you're writing it down. Living with resolve means that we refuse to allow our circumstances, all of the things happening around us, to determine our faithfulness. And see, I'm convinced, I'm convinced that we only have enough energy to do one of those two things, either to fight against our circumstances or to say, I will choose to be faithful. And maybe Daniel's a good guide because he knew he couldn't change his circumstances. They were what they were. And so he channels his energy into saying, what does it learn? What does it look like for me to be faithful? I pray that you and I will learn from Daniel what that looks like. There's a beautiful invitation on the table for all of us, my friends. I'm reminded of a story I recently read in John Tyson's book entitled Beautiful Resistance. He told the story of a place called Fickenwalden. It's a German airfield, but previously it was the home to Dietrich Bonhoeffer's underground seminary. It was the place where he trained leaders and pastors to subvert the Nazi regime, to, to hold true to the things of God, to the value of all people, and to push back against the empire. It was a, a Daniel-esque type of a move, but listen to what Bonhoeffer said. He said to this group of people gathering to be educated, he said, you have to be stronger than these tormentors that you find everywhere today. You have to be stronger. Your devotion has to be stronger. Your love has to be stronger. The resistance that you offer has to be stronger. And see, it's people like this who in the face of opposition choose resolute faithfulness. It's what Daniel's going to teach us how to do. And let me show you the way that this begins. In verse 7 of chapter 1, it says this, And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. Uh, There's a lot of debate about what these names probably mean. But let me give you what I think is my best guess on it. Daniel's name means, uh, Daniel means uh, the Lord or God is my judge. But Belteshazzar means Bel, protect his life. And Bel was a Babylonian god. Hananiah means Yahweh has been gracious. But Shadrach means command of Aku or the moon god, moon god. Mishael means who is like God. Meshach means who is like Aku. Azariah means Yahweh has helped. Abednego means servant of Nebo, the second greatest god in the Babylonian pantheon. So you see what's happening? They're they're taking these names that are distinctly Hebrew names because they weave into them the worship of Yahweh or the worship of, of God, the one true God, and they're giving them names that associate them now with Babylonian deities. And you know what the Babylonians know? It's actually the exact same thing that God knows. 
is that understanding your identity is essential to living effectively. It's the reason that God changes Abram's name to Abraham, Sarai to Sarah, Jacob to Israel, Saul to Paul, Simon to Peter. In each of those cases, it's God saying to these people, there's a new day on the horizon. It's a new season. You're going to experience new blessing and new faithfulness. And the Babylonians are trying to say the same thing to Daniel and his friends. It's a new day on the horizon. It's a new season. Leave your old gods behind. There are new gods in town. Bel and Aku and Nebo. It's funny. If you read through this carefully, what you'll find is that Daniel doesn't explicitly resist It's almost like he says, you can call me whatever you want, but I'm going to remember who I really am. And as we resolve to live faithfully in the midst of exile, here's the first thing that I want you to write down. We have to remember, you have to remember your true identity. We got to know that the, the names that we receive and the names that we respond to are oftentimes the scripts that we end up living by. They're the narratives that we end up executing with our lives. I mean, think about it. I'm sure that there are people who have been called either failure or success, and it named them, charted a course that have been called failure or called ugly or beautiful unlovable or loved, and that those names shaped your life. In light of that reality, I think there's a few things that, as Jesus followers, we have to wrestle with. We have to wrestle with. Here's the first thing. We have to grasp and understand that identity, uh, trying to erode the core of who we really are, is one of the enemy's main tactics in our lives. Eroding our identity, causing us to question our identity is one of the enemy's main tactics in our life. And we can see this in the way that he came and attacked Jesus. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 3, the scriptures say this, The tempter, or the Satan, came and said to him, Jesus, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. If you are. I know you claim you are. I know other people say you are. But if you really are, prove it. Prove it. Um, He's trying to get Jesus to doubt his identity, and he will try to get you to do the exact same thing. Neil Anderson, who's a great author, and he wrote the, uh, the Bible study course, Freedom in Christ, that we utilize here at Emmanuel Faith. It's a phenomenal course. He wrote this, and, and just I'd invite you, focus in, because what he says is so profound and so important. He says this, No person can consistently behave in a way that is inconsistent with what they believe about themselves. So if I think I'm just a loser or lame or I'm trying to live up to someone else's expectations, I never really truly get there. No matter how hard you try, someone's always going to come along with a hostile rejection or criticism to put you down and then you're left to pick yourself up by your bootstraps and it just doesn't work. Does anybody want to say amen to that? No one can consistently behave in a way that is inconsistent with what they believe about themselves. What you believe about yourself will ultimately shape the way 
that you live, the names you hear, the names you receive will shape the way that you live. So here's the second thing I want to say. As followers of Jesus, we have got to learn how to fight back. We've got to learn how to fight back against the enemy's lies of naming us one thing when God has called us something completely different. I think it's the reason that Lauren Daigle's song, You Say, has spent 100 weeks in the number one position uh, of Christian songs in our nation. 100 weeks. It's the longest stint any song has stayed at the top. But listen to what she writes. These lyrics are just so powerful. I keep fighting the voices in my head that say I'm not enough. Every single lie tells me I'll never measure up. Am I more than just the sum of every high and low? Remind me once again just who I am because I need to know. You, talking about God, say I am loved when I can't feel a thing. You say I'm strong when I think I'm weak. You say I'm held when I'm falling short. And when I don't belong, you say I am yours. I believe what you say of me. I think the most powerful thing you can do is decide to believe that what God says about you is true. So here's what he says about you. He says that he loves you. He says that your names are engraved in the palm of his hand. He says he rejoices over you with singing. He says that by his blood, because of his love, he has made you alive with Christ. He says that you have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He says that you are accepted exactly as you are and loved in your most broken spots. He says that he, by the power of your, his spirit in you, is made making you holy. He says you are his. And that's the name, friends, that we have got to hold on to in the midst of an empire or in the midst of exile. Things around us feel like they're crumbling. Remember, remember, don't forget who you are. You are loved. You are loved by the God of the universe. See, but after that statement about name change, listen to what Daniel does next, verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. Notice the word but at the beginning of verse 8. If you have your own Bible, I'd circle that, star that, because this is Daniel's subtle resistance to his name change. It's connecting those two ideas. So we want, he says, uh, listen, in the court of all of these people being trained to be servants of Nebuchadnezzar, here's my one request. Don't make me eat that. Don't make me eat that. We'll talk about why in just a moment. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king, who assigned your food and drink. For why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youth of, uh, who are of your own age? So would you endanger my head with the king? And then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, test your servants. Test us, he says. For 10 days, let us be given vegetables and eat water and water to drink. And then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat at the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. Verse 8 in the King James says, And Daniel 
proposed in his heart that he would not defile him, sorry, purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. Uh, here's the second thing that I want you to write down. We must, in order to live with resolve, resistance, we must resist the draw toward conformity. See, Daniel does it by requesting permission to have a, a different type of a, of a diet. And there's a lot of questions around why. Some people would say, well, he's trying to live in line with the way that Torah commands followers of Yahweh to eat. That could be it. He could be resisting the fact that a lot of this food may have been sacrificed to idols or to Babylonian deities before they were given to Daniel and his friends. That could be it. It could just be a way that Daniel is digging his feet into the ground and reminding himself of who he really is. I love the, what, what Wendy Wider suggests when she writes on this. She says this, Every time a meal was served, the exiles from Judah re would remember that although they had no choice but to live in Babylon, they nonetheless chose to be nourished and cared for by the king of kings rather than the king of Babylon. It was their way of saying, no, no, you can call us whatever you want, but we're going to remember who we are. And one of the ways we're going to remember is based on what we eat. Daniel is resisting the full program of assimilation and enculturation that the Babylons, Babylonians want him to walk through. On, on Monday, I had the chance to go to the beach with my family and it was one of those days at the beach where there was a riptide that was just pulling us. I mean, we started off in Solana Beach and could have been in Orange County in no time. I mean, one of those types of days. And my oldest son, Ethan, and I were out there swimming and body surfing and catching waves and eventually looked back to the shore and we were a few hundred yards away from where we'd started down the beach. I think the same thing can happen to us in our cultural moment. It can be so easy to just be, get taken, to, to almost not realize that it's happening. The longer we live in a culture obsessed with success and production, the longer we work in an environment at our workplace where there's coarse joking or crude discussion, the longer we're surrounded by decisions about sexuality that run contrary to the way of God, the easier it is for us to drift. And we've all seen it happen. We maybe even have experienced it happening in our own lives. So what does it look like to really dig our feet into the sand and say, no, I'm not going to be moved by the cultural tide. I'm going to choose to live faithfully. Well, well, what I'd like to do is unpack for you an anatomy of resistance from Daniel, because he's going to show us a few things that really teach us how to resist. So what is the anatomy of Daniel's resistance? I mean, what does this really look like? Well, look in verse eight again with me. There's this word that just jumps out, but Daniel resolved. It's this, conviction that he has internally before it's anything external. And, and I would invite you, if you just want to jot these down, I think they're really important for us. Uh, Daniel's resistance, first and foremost, is, is private. 
It's him deciding this is the way that I'm going to live. He doesn't broadcast it. He just decides it internally. I'm reminded of what the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica in the Roman Empire. He wrote this in verse 11 and 12 of chapter 4. He said, And aspire to live quietly, and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands, as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Um, Seek to live a quiet life. Have internal convictions that you don't feel like you need to broadcast everywhere. And I love that Paul here connects this quiet life, this this just character um, embodied life that is a bullhorn to outsiders about the goodness of God. See, uh, their quiet living leads to their effective evangelism. Catch this. Daniel's journey begins with personal holiness, not with public resistance. Not with public resistance. Second thing, second thing. Daniel's resistance is respectful. It says that he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him to have a different diet. He asked. He asked permission. It was respectful. He saw and acknowledged who God had put in leadership in charge, and he honored them. Now, we don't know exactly what Daniel would have done if they said no, but we do know that he made some other concessions in the midst of digging his heels in and saying, I refuse to lose my identity as a follower of Yahweh. But he is respectful. And here's the third thing. Here's the third thing. Daniel's convinced that his worship of Yahweh, his resistance, is going to yield real-life results. So so here's what he says. Uh, Test us for 10 days. Give us 10 days and then see what we look like after that. Put us on the stand and see if we win the Mr. Babylon contest, right? And and here's what they find. That the way of God um, works. It, It yields practical, pragmatic results. Now, I'm not saying that we should try any sort of Daniel fast or Daniel diet or anything like that, but it was their obedience to God, and we'll talk about this more in just a moment, that yielded the blessing that they were longing for. But here's the truth of the matter, friends. The way of God is is always better. It's both subjectively and objectively better. I mean, think about the way of Jesus, the way of Jesus. Um, let, let go of your anger. It's better to live without anger than it is to be angry. It's better. Um, let go of your lust. Choose to live an honest life. Stop telling lies. It's, it's too complicated. There's too much damage in your wake. Uh, live, live honestly. Love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you. It, it takes too much energy and it steals too much of your life to build this us versus them narrative where you continue to lob grenades at the other. It's better. It's better. So, so here's the deal. In our cultural moment, what does this mean and what does this look like? I think as followers of Jesus, we should be passionate about freedom of religion for all people. I actually think that pluralism is the best soil for the seed of the gospel to grow in. Let's let each idea be played out and let's see, let's measure each by their effectiveness. And here's what I'm convinced of. The way of Jesus is 
better. It's better than any other way. Dallas Willard sort of quipped one time and he said, listen, if Jesus knew of a better way, he would have been all for it. So so I think as followers of Jesus, we need to be convinced that the way of Jesus is better. And if we're allowed to live in that way, and if we choose to live in that way, that the results of which will show themselves to a culture at large, and it will be our best evangelistic tool. Listen to the way that this played out. Verse 14. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of the 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. I think there's a a picture for us here, friends, a word for us here. I think maybe the the problem for us and the part of the problem for us in the church in the U.S. is that there's just very little that's different about us. Uh, We have similar divorce rates in the church than we do outside of it. Similar rates of anxiety and depression and all sorts of things that war against our soul. Very similar in the church and outside of the church. I wonder if we were on, put on the stand to be measured, just like Daniel was, if there would be anything that was distinctly different, noticeable about us. I, it might be. It might be because we've been loud, but we haven't been devoted. In essence, we, we've lived the opposite of the way that Daniel resisted. We've fought for our rights, but have we measured our lives? I think that's the question that's in front of us. In Emmanuel Faith, I just, I want to call you to more. I mean, this week, will you choose to make some sort of private, personal act of resistance? I mean, it could look like practicing the Sabbath. It could look like a fast of some sort. It could look like anything. But in light of who you are in Christ, we've talked about that. What might it look like to just put one little stake in the ground and say, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to memorize a passage of scripture this week and I'm going to let it wash over my mind. I'm going to choose some way to preserve my baptismal identity as a follower of Jesus in the midst of exile. Will you do so- anything, something this week that puts a stake in the ground. And essentially, it's a way to say, if we're drifting, we're digging our heels in and we're saying, no more. No more. That's what Daniel does. Listen to the way this passage comes to a close. As for the four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. That's going to come in handy in just uh, next week, actually. And at the end of the time, when the king commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and he spoke with them. And all of them, and all, amongst all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. Here's the thing I love. Here's the thing I love. We made this point just a moment ago, but let's drive it home right now. We've got to recognize, we've got to recognize that blessing, or sorry, that obedience precedes blessing. Obedience precedes blessing. It's what Moses wrote in Deuteronomy. Now it shall be 
If you diligently obey the Lord your God, being careful to do all that's uh, written in his commandments, the Lord, will God, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations. All these blessings will come upon you and overtake you if you obey the Lord. It's Deuteronomy chapter 28 verses 1 and 2. See, if there is a step of obedience you're resisting, I'm convinced, I'm convinced that there is a blessing you're forfeiting. If there's a step of obedience you're resisting, there is a blessing that you're forfeiting. And see, Daniel doesn't obey so that he will be blessed. He obeys because he loves God and he's a follower of God. And blessing is the natural outflow of a life of obedience. And if you look at Daniel's life, it doesn't mean that everything's going to be perfect or tied up with a really nice bow and, ah, oh, that's the magic wand. Everything's going to work out perfectly now. No, he still lives his life in exile, but he experiences God's blessing within that. And see, when we obey God to get things from God, that's actually idolatry. It's not devotion. We obey God to get God. That's the deepest blessing that we could ever have, is relationship with God and the presence of God. And it's his blessing that follows obedience. And listen to the way that the first chapter of Daniel ends in verse 21. It says this, And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. This is actually pretty fascinating. It's only one verse, but remember this book started with Daniel and his friends getting carried into exile in 605. And in the very last verse of chapter one, he jumps forward 66 years to the year 539 when the Persians and King Cyrus would come and conquer the Babylonians. It was this picture of oh, God's got us in the midst of empires that will change, in the midst of kingdoms that will fall. There is a king who holds it all. And Daniel is lifting his God up. His conviction is God's hand is guiding and God's plan is going. Three times in this first chapter, it says either the Lord gave or God gave. It's this picture of God is holding it all. And he's holding you. In the midst of distance learning, in the midst of empire, in the midst of disorientation, in the midst of a world that feels like it's been turned upside down and a future that's been torn from us, in the midst of COVID-19 pandemic, global shutdown, race riots, in the midst of an economy that's tenuous at best and an election that's on the horizon, God's got you. God's got us. So what am I calling us to today? I'm calling us to remember our identity as Jesus followers. I'm calling us to choose holiness and refuse compromise. That's what I'm calling us to. I'm calling us to remember that our obedience is what allows us to step into God's blessing. I am calling us, friends, I'm calling us to choose not to allow our circumstances to determine our faithfulness, but to say in our hearts to resolve, just like Daniel did, to resolve, I'm going to follow my God. 
I think part of our challenge is we're often far more aware of Babylon's dominance than we are of God's presence. So how big is your God? Bigger than COVID? Bigger than the economy? Bigger than bankruptcy? Bigger than divorce? Bigger than uncertainty? Bigger than exile? How big is your God? And here's the last thing I want you to write down and then I'll close us in prayer. God, let me answer that question. How big is your God? God is bigger than your Babylon. Whatever Babylon you're facing, God's bigger. God's bigger. So let's choose to be faithful in the midst of crazy circumstances. Let's pray. So Jesus, we come once again today and we bow at your throne. We lift you high as the God, the one true God. You reign supreme. You're above it all. And Lord, in the midst of circumstances that feel out of control, we remember that you are in control. And Father, our prayer is, would you help us in the midst of circumstances that are crazy to choose to be faithful? Show us what that looks like as we fight for our identity and the truth of who we are in you. Show us what that looks like as we choose to dig our feet into the sand so that we don't drift and we choose to resist compromise. And Lord, choose us or show us what it looks like to live in obedience today to your way, to your heart, that we might walk in your blessing. God, remind us that you are bigger than our Babylon. Lord, we thank you for this time in your scriptures and we pray, we pray that you would continue to lead it and guide it as we walk through this great book of Daniel. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.